HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We hope everybody staying safe and well and in good spirits. Uh, so, as you could imagine, our studio is currently closed due to the outbreak of COVID-19. So, I'm recording this episode remotely from my apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Lillian Hanako Rorat, calling from LA. She is the co-founder of Kokoro Care Packages, which delivers authentic, premium-quality Japanese foods straight from Japan to your door. Lillian is half Japanese and grew up in Canada, and she developed her love and passion for Japanese culture over time. In 2018, she decided to leave her successful career in finance and started Kokoro Care Packages uh, with her partner, Aki Sugiyama, in Japan. The duo not only distributes Japanese artisanal food products, but also unique cultural background behind them to the world. So today we'll discuss why Lillian decided to start Kokoro Care Packages, the artisanal farmers and producers she, she and Aki works with, work with, and challenges they face in running the niche global business and much, much more. But uh, quickly before we start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. So now let's start a conversation with Lilian Hanako-Rola. Hello, Lilian. Welcome. Hi, Akiko. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be a part of your podcast. I know that you do a lot to share about Japanese culture. So um, we're honored to have the opportunity to share our story with your audience. Oh, yeah. So honored to have you. So so how are you doing in LA? What's, what's going on there in terms of uh, whatever is happening in the world? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so much has changed in such a little time, and um, I'm sure we're sort of going into some of the challenges that we have now having an international business, but um, Los Angeles seems to be doing pretty well. I think, um, you know, I have to say kudos to our, our mayor. I think he acted quite quickly, and we've been in lockdown now for almost about a month, but, um, you know, hearing the stories, I was saying, you know, to, in New York and around the world, I mean, it's just really heartbreaking, and hopefully we're all sort of doing our little bits to keep our community safe, and, um, you know, that this will be behind us sooner rather than later. Right. Yeah, I try to think, um, you know, this kind of challenge always leaves us somewhere better than before, so I try to stay Positive because we can't change anything by worrying about what is going on. So uh, the thing is, yeah, yeah and I think it's kind of nice for a lot of people to to focus inside and, and sort of focus on what their um, what's important to them now. And I think um, you know when people think about their health and that sort of comes to the forefront, and people are taking more time to sort of consider um, you know what they need to be nourishing their bodies with. Um, so it's yeah, I think it's it's a good time for reflection. Right. All right. So um, what. That's a good um, segue because what you do is you send great food far away from Japan to everybody in the world, basically, and uh, Food Connects. And this is a really good moment to think of the value of good food. So, uh, so first of all, where are you from? And um, of course, you're, you're Canada, you're, I said that you're from Canada, you have Japanese. So what did you eat when you grew up? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm half Japanese, as you mentioned. I grew up in Toronto, Canada, which is a very um, multicultural city. Um, and it's interesting. I think growing up, you know, I had a mix. My mother is my, my Japanese half. Um, and we ate a lot of Japanese home-cooked meals. But um, I think, you know, as, at the beginning when we were growing up, my mother also wanted to sort of include Western foods as well. So we did eat a little bit of a mix. So, you know, sometimes my mom would make, you know, teriyaki salmon or we'd have donburi for dinner. Um, but then there were times, too, when we'd have, you know, steak and potatoes. But I found that as I grew up, I, I definitely started gravitating more towards my Japanese heritage. And I'm not sure if it's just sort of the comforts of, you know, mom's home cooked meals or um, just as my interest grew within the culture itself. Mm, sounds perfect in terms of the balance. So yeah. And then, um, so I, I heard you spent two years in Japan on a JET program or the Japan Exchange and Teaching program from 2003 to 2005. And for listeners who are familiar with the JET program, it's a Japanese government initiative which brings college graduates from various countries, I heard it's like 55 countries right now, abroad to Japan as assistant teachers in English and in other areas. So why did you sign up for the program? Yeah, a lot of it. You know, it's an excellent program, and as you mentioned, people from all around the world get the opportunity to live um, in Japan. And what's unique about this program is that you're actually in the public school system, and so you can be placed in anywhere throughout Japan. So you can be in Tokyo, or you can be in one of the smallest countryside villages. And so I decided to sign up. A lot of it was just to sort of learn more about my heritage. I mean, I think um, being half Japanese, I've been always been curious and always been proud of being Japanese. But to have the moment to actually live there and sort of integrate into the culture was really a great opportunity for me. Um, and, you know, it was after university and I wanted a little bit of a fun experience. Um, and so I ended up um, living in Kashiwazaki in Niigata. Um, and it's actually quite funny because my mom is from Osaka, which is obviously one of the bigger cities in Japan. And when she found out that I was going to a smaller town in Niigata, which is sort of known for being snow country and out in more agricultural land, she thought, oh my goodness, why are they sending you out to farm country? <laughs> um, but I think the experience itself 
myself was just, it was, it was really great because it was a smaller community and I think that really helped to enhance um, my exposure to Japanese culture and everyone was just so warm and inviting and you know, every time there was a, a Japanese event or, or um, a cultural moment for me to experience, everyone wanted me to be a part of it and they would invite me into their homes and so it really, I think, enhanced my opportunity to be in Japan. Mm, wow. So, uh, so do you think your time in Japan on the JET program has affected your life now? Um, I think it really has in a very big way that I didn't necessarily know that it would. Um, when I first went, it was more for the adventure. Um, but just the connection I made in a, on a deeper level that I hadn't had before with the food and the culture and um, the landscape and everything that really I hold dear about Japan now, I think really just blossomed while I was in Japan on the JET program. Mm. So I'm curious, before you went to Japan, um, were you able to speak Japanese like, you know, the native? <laughs> oh gosh, no, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that. I didn't learn Japanese growing up. So um, besides, you know, arigato and uh, being able to count to 10, my, my Japanese was quite basic. Um, and then I came back being able to, to have some more of a conversation and it was really interesting coming back actually and trying to speak with my mother in Japanese because... Um, I had never spoken to her in Japanese before, and all of a sudden we were trying to kind of sidestep through conversations. So it's been a unique experience trying to mingle English and Japanese together now. Mm, wow. I'm sure your mom was impressed to hear. Well, she was impressed and then also correcting me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so the, before you founded Kokoro Care Packages, which we're going to discuss in a moment, but you spent eight years in finance in Canada and in New York City. So what type of work in finance were you engaged in and what did you learn from the experience? Yeah, so when I came back from Japan, I think um, I have a math degree and I've, I've sort of always had a business mind. And um, I think sometimes you go to Japan and they almost consider it a little bit like la la land. It's a nice break from reality. But then when you come back home, it's, you know, time to get serious. Um, <laughs> and so I ended up uh, working in capital markets in finance. So it was um, quite, I guess, a different experience than teaching English in Japan. Um, but so I ended up doing that for eight years and I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, there's a lot of stresses that come with it as well. But um, it it really helped to sort of build a different toolkit that I'm actually surprisingly using a lot now in my own business. Um, and so I ended up working first in Toronto. Um, I was doing equity research and then I moved on to our sales desk. And then it was interesting because I think, you know, you asked how the JET program kind of stayed with me. Um, I ended up moving to New York through the company that I was working with um, to cover the Japanese stock market on the sales side. So it was, it, my experience sort of kind of kept on popping up and it, I think it was actually a benefit it uh, to help me sort of enhance my career and, and move to New York. Mm, interesting. We actually, I, I know a couple of people, or more than a couple of people, who went on the JET program, which completely changed their, you know, the trajectory of their life afterwards. So, yeah, that's interesting that you never know what kind of path you're going to build after a certain exciting uh, adventurous experience. Um, yeah, so I also heard that you were. You said you're a math nerd when you grew up, when you were little. So. A little bit, yeah. I actually, um, for those who might know Kumon, it's a um, after-school math program that they have that started in Japan and has grown and has, um, I think, is available almost all around the world. And I actually did Kumon for 14 years as a child. <laughs> so wow. I started when I was four. So my mom got me started really early, and then I ended up doing it all the way until I, uh, I graduated high school. 
And you were ranked number one in North America. Oh gosh, yeah, I was. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so, so yes, a big math nerd. <laughs> right. So it makes sense that you went into the world of finance, but、um, you know, it's also interesting that you got out of it just because, you know. Whatever we're going to discuss from from now on, but so you founded the Kokoro Care Packages in December 2018 with a partner in Japan. So who is she, and how did you meet her? Yeah, so I was thinking,、um, you know, it feels almost like destiny that I, I met with Aki Sugiyama. So she's based in Tokyo,、um, and on some of my business trips, I would have to go、um, to Tokyo、uh, to visit our team out in Japan. And a mutual friend of ours thought, you know, the two of you should meet. You're exactly the same. You guys are like twins.、Um, we both worked in finance, and we're both、um, really into health and wellness.、Um, she's actually a bodybuilder、um, in Japan, and you know, health and fitness has really been a big part of who I am. Um, and so we ended up just, you know, she was gracious enough to, to meet me for dinner in Tokyo,、um, and then sort of our conversation gravitated towards health and wellness and food, and a lot of what we were seeing as well in terms of just the Japanese diet, and you know, sort of comparing it to, you know, the standard typical、uh, Western diet, and how we think that that's impacting, you know, people's individual health as well as、um, their longevity. And it just it, a friendship blossomed over over one dinner in Tokyo. Wow. So sounds like it's called a destiny in a way, right? So,、um, but you know, does she? She is in finance as well, right? So yes, yeah, right. Okay. So how did you come up with the idea that you know? I, I understand you we've got a friendship now established, but it's it's a big jump to start a business together, and especially based on two different countries. How did it happen? Yeah, and it was sort of you know what we talk about destiny. I think that that was a little bit of a part of it.、Um, I decided to leave my job in finance just because I think the trajectory of where it was going. It didn't feel, although I enjoyed the job itself, it didn't feel meaningful to me. And I think I wanted to be connected to Japan on a different level. And so covering the stock market was definitely interesting, and I'm glad that I had the experience. But I wanted to sort of. Focus more on a, a personal connection,、um, and so I ended up moving out to LA after my time in New York.、Um, there's a wonderful Japanese population out here, and it sort of felt like almost like a second home.、Um, and so when I moved here,、um, Aki actually came to visit me. So this was the second time that we had a chance to meet,、um, and I think she was sort of thinking the same things that I was. You know, we enjoyed our jobs in finance; they were challenging. But when we thought, sort of thought about the longer picture and making a really big difference in the world, that we weren't necessarily in the right place to do that. Um, and so we just sort of started talking about the ideas, and、um, you know, for me, we both obviously have a love for Japanese food, and、um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm sure you know as well, Akiko. When you compare what you can get in Japan versus what you can get outside of Japan, there's really a big quality difference.、Um, and I found even like a, a place like LA, where we do have a lot of Japanese grocery stores, a lot of things that end up getting imported, they're either full of chemicals or additives, or you just kind of get the same thing, and it doesn't really have the same variety and the same. Flavors that we get in Japan, and so Aki and I just sort of started talking about, you know, is there a way that we can offer these wonderful foods from Japan to people in a way that's more accessible for them? Right. Well, that's so true. But not just because you know there is a distance between Japan and other countries. I think、uh, it's like you know、um, farmers selling at a farmers market; they need、um, some kind of outlet. And、uh, small farmers or producers cannot export because it takes a lot of administrative work and time. So that's another reason we cannot 
have good Japanese artisanal items um, exported to other countries. That's one of the reasons, I think. So, so what is the concept of uh, Kokoro Care Packages? Yeah, so it's interesting. Our, our name, Care Packages, um, sort of started as a way of, of offering our, these gifts, as you were mentioning, these artisanal farmer made, farmers market made um, products from Japan. Um, but given in the environment that we're on now, where it's actually taken on the real true meaning of Care Packages, we've, we've had lots of wonderful stories about people who are receiving our gifts, especially in time of need and it's been really comforting for those, for them to you know receive this special package from Japan. Um, so the concept is we have um, two different uh, ways of purchasing our products. Uh, one of them is a subscription box, uh, which comes either monthly or seasonal, and we change the theme um, every month and every season um, based on the seasonality of the different foods involved um, or just some unique themes that we have. Um, and then we actually launched a new collections care package, and so that's more focused um, year-round. The products are available. You can order them anytime. Um, and our first one that we launched was um, our Creative Beginnings Redefining Wa care package, which is focused on the Japanese sort of cooking essentials that you need in your home, which and includes um, a soy sauce, a dashi. We have some shichimi spice, and so really just the basics that everybody needs. Um, and then we'll be actually launching a noodles kit soon, so we're really excited about that one as well. Wow, so sounds like it'll be expanding. Um, so, how many items do you have per package? Yeah, so the monthly usually comes with about five or six different items. Um, and then the seasonal comes with anywhere from seven to ten. Um, and then we also include a locally made gift. So we like to include something a little bit more outside of the food realm, but still shows a little bit of the Japanese culture. Um, and so we once did an indigo soap, which was just a beautifully made soap from Japan. And we actually did a hinoki oil, um, essential oil that has like a beautiful smell of the wood that you would get if you went to a shrine or a temple in Japan. So we like to kind of include things that can really make you immerse yourself in Japanese culture. Mm, right. So, um, yeah, I actually I received a, a nice box from Japan um, recently, and thanks to the great and thoughtful package, it's really amazing to really find out there's a beautiful um, kind of a leaflet explain each product, and uh, it's healing. It, it is a care package, oh, I have to you. say. All right, so let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about artisanal farmers and producers that Lillian work with. So um, please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions. But they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the Welsh natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table, so you can experience back. the listening to Japanese quality of Japanese craftsmanship in, in your home or restaurant. Your host For more information, visit who is the co-founder of Kokoro Care Packages, which delivers authentic, premium-quality Japanese foods straight from Japan to your door. So, um, 
you emphasize on healthy aspects of food in your offerings, like you said, you are not very into health aspects of whatever in your life, I guess. So how do you select products in your package to keep it healthy and delicious at the same time? Yeah, it's really quite um, an intricate puzzle piece that we actually have to put together um, every month. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Um, so first of all, I'm very cautious about the food I eat personally, and I want to make sure that the packages reflect um, something that I myself would enjoy to eat. So first off, it has to be chemical-free. Um, we read through the labels and make sure that there's no unnecessary additive in, and, and that each of the quality of the ingredients it really matters to us. Um, and so it's something that I'm very proud of. We want to make sure that when people enjoy these packages that they know that there's no harmful chemicals in it or fertilizers that are used. So that's sort of our baseline. Um, we also try to get organic when possible. Um, it's actually really interesting because the, um, the Japanese standard for organic is very quite strict. Um, and so I think in the U.S. The, it's a little bit easier to get the organic certification, but in Japan it's really, really difficult to get. And we've actually partnered. We actually did a, a wonderful umeboshi, which is a pickled plum. Um, and they usually come from Wakayama, which is a, a region famous for its ume. Um, and this one's organic, and only 1% from this region are actually organic. And you can really taste the difference. So that's something that we like to focus on, um, organic when possible. But we definitely want to make sure that all the ingredients are you know, as fresh and natural as they can be. Um, but then it gets really interesting. In each of our boxes, we like to include a variety of different foods. Um, and so we'll include either a tea or some sort of drink. Um, we'll have a snack that you can enjoy right away. Um, and then we like to include some sauces and seasonings. And these are really great because I find that they can be really versatile. It can be something that you can use um, in your day-to-day -day meal. If you're cooking up something, you know, maybe you're grilling a piece of salmon, you know, you can add a little bit of Japanese spice to that. Um, or you can use them to make more traditional um, Japanese-style foods. And then we like to include something a little bit heartier that you might want to make a meal around. So we've done noodles before, different types of rice. So we like to make sure that there's um, a big variety of the different foods that we offer. Um, and then it gets interesting because we also want to make sure um, that we partner with the, the appropriate local producers as well. So I have to say kudos to my partner in um, Aki Sugiyama back in Japan. She does her best to go to um, you know, different natural food expos and farmers markets to really get to know each and every one of our producers so that we can trust that the ingredients that they're offering are of the top quality standard that we believe in. Mm, right. So, um, yeah, I didn't know that the Japanese uh, organic standard is so high, so strict. But, uh, yeah, it's still it's very hard to find organic products. And especially, you know, like, I don't know, in, in the U.S., like for New York City's farmer's market, they are practically organic. But the procedures and the cost to get certified organic is so much, too much that... They're practically organic, but they don't say it. Versus... Yeah, I think that that's actually a really big... Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that's a really important point for Japan as well. Because these standards are so strict, not a lot of people will carry that JAS um, organic certification, even though I would say the majority of the foods that we put in our products, in our packages, are actually, to some degree, they, are, they could be considered organic, but it's the process that kind of permits, um, that prevents people from getting that actually, that stamp of approval. Right. Yeah. So, um, well, just to add to the point, I mean, globally, well, if you go to Whole Foods, there's organic and conventional. And it's kind of like, to, to me, conventional is supposed to be organic. <laughs> it's a weird wording because we used to be all organic 
and then things change. But when it comes to small farms in the middle of nowhere, they maintain the same production and and they stay healthy to avoid using excessive pesticides and all those chemicals. So I wonder how many of uh, you know producers you work with are in that category, but yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point. I mean, I think when we go to the grocery store, um, you know, even if we're, if we're looking at fresh produce, we we would hope that the baseline would be that it is organic. <laughs> you know, it's right. almost we don't we don't, and, you know, it's it's kind of I think a reflection of where our food industry is that we need that label to let people know that there's no chemicals involved in the foods when that should really be the baseline that we have. Right. Yeah, and I I, uh, I heard some sake producers started to go back more natural, not just buying rice and ingredients, but they started to make ingredients like shochu producers growing potatoes. They want to make everything clean so that people work in the distillery or um, brewery stays healthy um, in in the absence of all those. Harmful yeah, chemicals. I agree. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, the food that we eat really is what nourishes our body. And so if we are putting in chemicals, I think that that's actually really to our detriment. Um, and I think it also in, in, um, changes the flavors of the foods as well. I think we have this wonderful soy sauce um, that we include in our Creative Beginnings um, care package. Um, and it's a 200-year-old tradition. And they actually use the same bar- wooden barrels and wooden paddles that have been around for 200 years. Um, and it takes three years to make each of the um, individual soy sauces. And it's got the same koji that's been here for 200 years. And I think, you know, a lot of the, the soy sauce producers are moving away from that traditional style. But I think you lose so much of that flavor and so much um, of that umami that you would get in normal foods once you start doing that. Mm, right. Well, sounds really delicious. So yeah, it's one that. of our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So maybe you can give us um, an example of your entire package. Like I don't know, seasonal or. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, as I mentioned, with our monthly care packages, we change them every month depending on the seasonality of different foods and also just um, different aspects of the Japanese culture that we're looking to share uh, with our audience. So we've done things um, like yuzu, which was very popular. Um, And so yuzu, for those who might not know, it's a Japanese citrus fruit. um, And it's it's best probably described, and, and maybe Akiko, you can probably give your, your sense of flavors as well, but I would say almost as a mix between a lemon and a mandarin orange because it's slightly sweet but also slightly tart. I think is that a, a great how you would describe it as well? Right. And also I think it's elevated uh, strength of scent, I think. Mm. It's like if you smell yuzu, it's like punching your nose because that's so unique that you instantly recognize once you have it. That, that's, yeah, exactly. And so we, um, we featured a yuzu box that um, came with some yuzu soba. And normally um, the soba that you would get at a lot of the Japanese grocery stores, it, it's those brittle sticks that I think everyone's seen. But this was the nama soba, which means real soba. So it's actually softer and doughier. And so you can actually really see the freshness um, in the noodles themselves. Uh, it also included a yuzu miso which is a wonderful, it was one of my favorite um, products that we featured so far. So it's got that umami flavor from the miso, which is actually mixed in with the citrus from the yuzu and just a touch of sugar to give a little bit of sweetness. Um, And so it's a really wonderful combinations of flavors. Uh, We also included a yuzu kosho, 
Uh, and kosher was sort of a, a spicy green pepper. So that was a really nice um, spread that you can add to a hot pot or to a bowl of noodles to kind of give it a little extra kick. Um, and I'm glad you, you mentioned the scent because we also included a yuzu peel tea. Um, it's 100% just the peels from the yuzu. So you can get that wonderful aroma um, and it's caffeine-free and everything's all natural. And then we also included a, a wonderful canton candy. So canton is a sort of, um, this might sound strange, but it's a sort of seaweed, but it does have any flavor and so it's a really good base for to have like a jelly kind of candy um, and that was infused with yuzu as well so that's an example of one of the um, the themes when we're looking around one type of flavor we've done a matcha box before we did a sakura box actually just this last April um, and then in addition to that we also like to do regional flavors and so we want to um, kind of allow people to travel with their taste buds and um, especially in a time like this where we can't um, you know hop on a plane and visit Japan as easily as we'd like to um, we featured an Okinawa box uh, previously, a Hokkaido box, and we're actually going to be doing Tohoku, um, which I'm really excited about for June. Yeah, obviously that's um, a big agricultural region in in Okinawa, uh, in in Japan, sorry, that um, was unfortunately devastated by the the earthquakes and the tsunami. And so we really want to showcase how there's been a lot of regrowth and regeneration in that area and and sort of show um, the perseverance that, you know, comes through with a lot of um, the Japanese um, farmers' mentality. Um, and then we also actually recently did one uh, that was really exciting for us on sustainability. And we wanted to uh, take a moment to really showcase the different types of traditional agricultural ways that um, Japanese farmers have been using that. To me, it's it was really interesting. I think it goes to show that these um, techniques that they use have been around for centuries. And the way that they like to nurture the land in a way that is beneficial for the agricultural land for centuries to come, but can also work well for the human body. And they have a concept called Satoyama, which I'm sure you've heard about, um, which literally means Sato, which is for village, and Yama, which means mountain. And it sort of incorporates the way that um, humans can also work in, in um, conjunction with nature that is beneficial for both sides so that humans can nourish their bodies while also nourishing the lands. And it's almost like a cyclical um, communication between the two. Right. Yeah, I really like the idea of uh, featuring regions uh, with your, you know, like, I think a recurring themes mm. or the seasonal items. Because I think people don't know much about regional aspects of Japanese cuisine. You know, even sushi has regional aspects and noodles and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's something that we'd like to... Um, let people know because I think it's a lot of times too when people go to Japan um, you know there's there's sort of the popular tourist spots you know people go to Tokyo or Kyoto or Osaka um, but there's so many unique regions and one of the things that I love about Japan is no matter where you go they have a specialty there's something that you know New Aomori is famous for their apples and they really do have some of the best apples um, that you can find anywhere in Niigata the prefecture that I lived in um, is very famous for its rice so they have an amazing rice and also very wonderful sake um, and Okinawa has a unique culture that's very much its own, um, given that it's sort of located down at the tropical end of Japan, and it's very close to Taiwan. And so it's got a lot of different influences that are not only sort of the traditional Japanese that we think about. Mm, right. And also the idea of Satoyama, which I think is uh, universal because it's the area and then, you know, the human beings... Um, Life, lives, uh, life activities, and nature activities are shared mm-hmm. in that same area. So usually we are in the direction of destroying nature, but that's the area we can cohabit 
and also that's kind of educational point to enhance human activities to reverse uh, damage to nature. So I think the concept satem, I think it's going to be more kind of hopefully versatile. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, that there's um, a little bit of a mentality that when farming, you're trying to control the land. And I think um, when we look at what the, the traditional Japanese farmer does, it's more working in harmony with the land. And I think that that's something, you know, the, the, the earth is, it, it wants to nourish us. It wants to give back to us. But if we're trying to control it and trying to move it away from its natural state, it's sort of to the detriment to both of our sides, you know, in terms of the earth itself and to humanity. Right. And uh, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier, but I heard that the mission of Kokoro Care package, Packages evolved from providing people with the authentic foods and flavors of Japan to helping artisanal farmers and producers with access to an international market that would otherwise be too difficult for them to reach. So could you tell us how you discovered the needs from these farmers and producers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we started, um, as you mentioned, our company in December 2018, so we're on, only just over a year old, um, you know, I think it started almost as a little bit of a way to, to scratch our own itch. You know, I think I, I was wondering, you know, why can't we share these beautiful foods from Japan with people around the world? Um, you know, I, I think they would love these new, unique flavors. And even for myself living in, in Los Angeles, I actually get the care package the same time that everybody else does. And so even though I know exactly what's going to go in, when I actually get to taste it, it's so wonderful to be able to taste all these amazing flavors. Um, but then it's so, you know, it slowly started to evolve. Um, I think with each of the conversations that Aki had with these local producers, we sort of started uncovering a lot more about the story behind each of the products and what's really going on in Japan. And um, I think you, you can attest to as well, Akiko, that so much is changing with regards to the demographics. Um, as a lot of people know that it's an aging population within Japan. So a lot of the traditional farmers and small local producers um, with the younger generation either moving to Tokyo or moving outside of Japan to take on sort of different jobs, a lot of the traditions that have been around in Japan for centuries are going to the wayside. I, I actually know somebody who, whose uh, grandparents own a bakery and there's nobody there to take it over. Um, and so, you know, and with business kind of slowing down, people kind of moving out of those smaller villages, we really started to realize that, you know, a lot of these traditions might be lost if there's no other way that we can sort of provide them with a market that maybe they hadn't been able to access before. And so as you mentioned, for a lot of these small batch producers, I mean, they to think about even sending their product internationally, I mean, that's it's a big hurdle. A lot of them obviously don't speak English and to sort of navigate through um, immigration and how they're going to be importing and exporting these products. It becomes so much for them to, to take on um, that our hope is that as we grow, that we're able to, to support the local farmers and their communities um, to make sure that we can keep these traditions going. Mm. So sounds like a ma- many there are many farmers and small producers uh, who need the help of being discovered. So how do you find uh, those unique um, products? you know, the producers and farmers for your unique products, for your packages? Yeah, I mean, I think once again, this this really, you know, uh, goes kudos to Aki for all the work that she does. Um, she goes to some of the, the natural food expos that are starting to pop up within Japan. Um, and then she also goes to a lot of the farmers markets. And I think, you know, once you get involved in this community, you start sort of meeting connections and networking and meeting more and more people. Um, and so, you know, being able to to talk to one community member of one farmer kind of expands to, you know, a different community member of that same farm. And so we've noticed that just by 
integrating ourselves and really trying to support the network that we've been able to, to meet more and more people and expand the, the number of farmers that we're working with. Mm, right. Well, I think that each prefecture started to have some cute characters to promote their local culture, including agricultural products. So when I look yeah, up that's that true. <laughs> prefecture, there's like a panda yeah. there and bear there. And, you know, that's kind of a, I'm sure there exactly, are Exactly, so yeah. I think that there's a big push too. I think um, because Japan at this point, I think, relies quite a bit on, on tourism, um, just with their, their shrinking population, that there's really been a push, as we were talking about earlier, for people to explore different areas of Japan. Um, I actually prefer, you know, when you go out to the different countrysides of Japan, there's just, there's something so warm and welcoming, and you get to explore at a deeper level, you know, as I say in my time in Niigata, an area that, you know, might not be on every travel map, but it's definitely, you know, the warmth and the connection that you get by going to some of the smaller places really does enhance enhance your, your experience and connection um, with Japan. Um, so I would really highly recommend if people can get the ch- a chance to get off the beaten path and to explore different areas. It's really um, quite the experience. Mm, right. And it's so easy, right? Like, for instance, in Niigata, uh, well, to, to get to Niigata, it takes only less than three hours by a built train. And it's so quick and easy. Uh, and it's no. safe, and it's safe, it's easy to do, and as you know, the trains are very punctual, so, you, you know, <laughs> once you've got your itinerary set, you know, there's there's no way that you won't miss a train, so it's, yeah, it's really, they make it so easy to do, and I, I think, you know, I would highly encourage people to do it if they get the opportunity. Right. Okay, so uh, maybe you can tell us about some of the farmers and producers you work with. Yeah, I mean, they're all, you know, it's funny, the, the more and more we, we get to know them, it really to me, enhances the, the products themselves. Um, you know, when we get to talk to some of the farmers and then, the, the you know, the product shows up and I think about the hard work that went into each and, um, each and every one of them that we include. It, it really makes them so much more special. We, um, we partnered with different people. Uh, one of them, the, the yuzu box that I was uh, speaking about, we had this wonderful yuzu miso. And the story that came about with that is in Tokushima, which is an area that's also very famous for its yuzu. A lot of the yuzu trees actually grow up higher um, up on hills and up on sort of the mountainside. And with the aging population, this woman came, and she was 66 years old at the time, realized that a lot of the really fresh um, yuzu that was pesticide-free that was growing on the mountains were actually going to waste because a lot of the older farmers couldn't climb up the mountains. So she actually decided to start her own yuzu company in Tokushima just so she could help bring in younger farmers to help with the harvest. Um, And so something like that was really special to us. Um, We've partnered with a company called Vegetable Park, and what they are, it's a young couple. They have three adorable young children, um, and they have a farm that's just outside of Osaka. And what they really wanted to do was really showcase natural foods. And so they started a farm that, you know, is almost like a park, hence their name, where people, they encourage them to come and play and learn about our agriculture. And they make a wonderful different types of jam that we've featured before. There was a brown rice jam. So it's naturally sweetened with no extra sugar. Um, and then some of them have different flavors. So they added a kinako to one of them, which is um, a roasted soybean that almost has like a nutty flavor. So it almost ends up tasting like peanut butter. Um, mm. And then they had a different <laughs> one that had some cacao in it. So it almost tasted like a chocolate spread. Um, but they're really doing um, a wonderful job of showcasing the local foods that they grow uh, within their own farm. Um, and then we also uh, did a wonderful, there was a, 
a spicy chili oil that we did from Okinawa in Ishigaki. Um, and it's a wonderful blend of like a sweet and spiciness. And it's interesting, the, the, the couple themselves that, that make the product, um, the husband is from China and the wife is from Tokyo, um, but they absolutely fell in love with Okinawa. And so they decided to move there and they actually use herbs and spices from their own backyard um, to put into the spicy chili oil. So it takes a little bit of the culture um, from the husband's Chinese side with making these wonderful spicy chili oils, but also uses the natural flavors from their own backyard to pull in a little bit of the Okinawan spirit. Um, and so that was actually one of our, our most popular items that we featured. Interesting. So I think <laughs> your clients or the partners are lucky. You have the best, most passionate oh, promoter of their products. So <laughs> this is oh, exciting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know what, for us, I mean, I feel as if we're just sort of the middlemen and really at the end of the day, it's the products and the producers themselves that um, we're so proud and honored to be able to showcase. Right. So, but obviously you are doing this business uh, globally. So what's the biggest challenge or challenges in managing this uh, international business? Yeah, it's been it's been a very unique experience. Um, so it's it's very you know even just dealing with time zones can sometimes be very difficult because you know I'll get a, a customer request in and I have to you know wait till overnight for Aki to respond and so sometimes there can be a little bit um, of a, ta- a time lag. Um, but then we also realized you know that there are cultural differences and you know as much as I I think both of us Aki is Aki's our bilingual half I have to say which is why I think we're able to communicate as well as we do. Um, but there are very much different, you know, cultural differences between um, sort of, you know, the expectations that we might have on the Western side versus how things are run in Japan that we've sort of had to, to navigate, um, even with regards to, um, so every month we have to confirm, which is something interesting, actually, um, if I can sidetrack a little bit, we, uh, we only order the products that we need for each and every month. So um, we don't want to overload our, our local producers as well because we want to make sure that as we are, are sending these their wonderful products out internationally, we also don't want to take away from how they're supporting their local communities and the foods that they grow. So we always tell them in advance how many orders we think we're going to get for the month and we make sure for each month um, that we cap it at, at a reasonable level for them and if it's too much for them, we try to find different producers or we try to split up the different products to make it um, easy for them and to make sure that we're not taking more than we need. Mm. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of these, as you mentioned, they're smaller producers. Um, and so the communication sometimes, you know, maybe we don't get a response for a couple of days and it's not as quick and easy and fast as we kind of want things done maybe in the Western world. But I think it kind of adds to the to this, what makes them so special is that, you know, the time and traditions that go into them, you know, sometimes you can't get things right away and it's going to take, you know, a little bit longer. And it's kind of helped us balance things in terms of, you know, the speediness that we want in the, the U.S. versus, you know, some of the time and the honored traditions that are, are in, in Japan. Mm, right. That's interesting. That's definitely cultural. Well, I think it's small farmers tend to be more kind of, uh, you know, they have to everything by themselves and most importantly produce things and then yes other things come to the second inevitably so yeah but well sounds like it's you there are way maybe i don't know the trust-based relationship in japan also not like yeah i think that that's a big part of it too you know i think for aki to be able to meet with the producers face to face, there is a trust and a bond that happens. Um, and you're right, it doesn't necessarily, you know, I think it's more personable there, you know, I think people, there is a lot more trust. And so when we 
when we go to them and we tell them, you know, we, we really want to share the beauty of your product and, you know, the traditions and, and all the hard work that you put into it. And we want to share this with people who are going to appreciate it just as much as, you know, your neighbor would. I think it really helps to kind of bridge the gap between oceans. And a part, a lot of, of satisfaction that we get is, is building that bridge between the communities all around the world with that local farmer and producer right in Japan where they can actually, you know, see their faces in our brochure and, and see, you know, exactly the person who created that product. I think it's just a wonderful way that food can kind of connect people. Mm, right. So I understand that Aki is the main um, connection with other, you know, your partners in Japan, but do you yourself get to see them? I do. You know, it's, it's interesting. I had a chance to um, visit Japan uh, last year, and it was really interesting, actually, as you were saying about the, the mascots that they have for the different prefectures. I actually had a chance um, to go to one of the, uh, the expos that they had there, and they had a bunch of Japanese um, mascots running around and the big sort of cartoonish <laughs> characters that, that you would see. Um, and it was really, you know, I think for them, too, um, to be able to connect and really see, oh, there is this person in Los Angeles or somewhere else in the world that's helping to support us. Um, and even for me to see their faces and to get the, the thank yous from them. I mean, it was really just such a wonderful way to connect. And so for me to go out, I mean, I wish, I'm sure you feel the same way. I could travel to Japan as often as I could. And um, I think hopefully, you know, once all this, uh, the experience that we're seeing now in the world that I'll be able to hop on a plane again soon. But it really is, it's, it's such a wonderful way to, you know, hear these stories and then to actually meet them in person and, um, you know, sort of connect with them in a, in a level of that we're all trying to sort of do the same thing. Like we're all just trying to promote wonderful special products and help, help teach people to eat in a healthier manner, you know, using some of the Japanese philosophies and, um, you know, the Japanese foods themselves too. I just find that they tend to be so balanced. I mean, when you eat a Japanese meal, there's always a little bit of everything so that your body is getting nourished in a way that it's presenting each of the different, you know, minerals and vitamins and different things that your body needs all in one meal. Mm, right. Well, after eating a big kaisei course meal, you never get mm. kind of sick next day versus, you know, like some Western food that's very satisfying, but sometimes you need to take a break next day. So that happens usually not with Japanese food. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that, um, you know, you're dealing with very local uh, Japanese food and there's a fine balance between how to manage a like, carbon footprint versus mm -hmm. what you can express, uh, uh, you can experience and also support local small producers in the other part of the world. So you have to see the balance because you live to experience something interesting, something new, something inspiring that happened to be maybe having a small package from Japan. But of course, we go to farmer's market, try to support local, but there mm -hmm. are equally small, important producers that provide value to um, a huge global audience. So that's something interesting that I, I really thinking of. Uh, thanks yeah, it's an interesting yeah, it's an interesting balance. And as you mentioned, you know, I, I think I, um, I do very much believe in eating as locally as possible, um, which maybe sounds a little bit ironic considering we're sending packages from Japan to people around the world. But I think supporting those communities around the world is really important. So, um, you know, we really encourage people that if you can go to your, your, your farmer's market and, and get fresh fruit, I mean, that is really what you should be doing. And then hopefully our care packages, because they 
they, they have that same quality will allow you to combine you know, the freshness of certain flavors from Japan with what you can get in your own backyard or in your own you know, local community and sort of help to support those communities even though that they're oceans apart. Right. So, uh, so who are your customers? Um, so it's really interesting. You know, I think people always ask, you know, what's your target market? And um, I, I sort of start thinking more about it's it's not really a demographic that we're looking at or um, really it's, you know, it's not an age group. It's really just anyone who loves Japanese food. And we find that we have people who are from young and old from people around the world. So a lot of our customers are based in the U.S., but we have people, um, some of our customers are based in Europe, in Australia. We actually shipped a couple of packages to Mauritius, which was <laughs> an interesting <laughs> logistical um, challenge to overcome. But we just find, you know, I think um, for a lot of people, there's something about Japan, whether it's the food or the culture, that can really draw you in. And I think, you know, maybe it started when you were young and someone fell in love with anime or, you know, maybe you're a little bit older and there's something nostalgic about sort of the more, the ways that some of the traditions and the, the slower pace of life. But we find that, you know, we have people from all over the world, all different backgrounds that just, for some reason, there was something about Japan that, that really got them, that really helped them feel connected, that they want to keep on sharing with. And so our packages are just a wonderful way for them to get like a little reminder from Japan every, every month or every season. Right. Well, I bet um, there are many Japanese people who are interested in this kind of thing because you don't get a chance to have this kind of nice rounded view to uh, Japanese artisanal products. So uh, me being Japanese, I was really pleased to see kind of variation of everything you can just enjoy throughout the day here and there cookies to curry to tea and it's just nice to have some sort oh, of thank you so much yeah we try to we try to make it as accessible for all different audiences so for somebody who maybe has never been to japan we actually have some people who you know are thinking about going to japan they've never been before and this is sort of a nice stepping stone so we like to introduce people to a wide range of flavors so sometimes we'll we'll have sort of we had you know a miso cookie which you know i think everyone can enjoy because it's got a, a wonderful nutty sweetness to it but we've, we've been a little bit daring, and for those who know natto, um, which is the fermented soybean that I think, you know, um, has become very famous for its pungent, it's really sort of, it's a flavor that takes a little while to get um, used to. We actually included a sun-dried natto for people to try something new, you know? So we, we like to, you know, we're going to try to give you the full experience from, you know, maybe the more easy-to-enjoy flavors to something that maybe is a little bit more challenging, but you never know until you try. Right. So you never know. Like stinky cheese from France. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Who knew? Love it. Some right. people love it. Some people hate it. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, we're running over time. So um, this is an important question to you. Based on your unique background, experiences with Japan so far through, you know, your JET program to this, this business. So what is most fascinating part about Japanese culture to you? Oh gosh, you know, that's, it's so, there's so many things, it's so hard to pick one, but um, I think, you know, especially in, in the time that we're living in now that I think, you know, a lot of us are, are pretty solitary and, and, you know, I think as, especially now that a lot of us are, have been forced to stay into our homes that there's something about Japan that I really appreciate is there's, there's a wonderful sense of community there. Um, you know, I think that there is this sense that everybody belongs to the same country, the same region, the same culture, but we're all sort of trying to support each other. Um, and it's actually interesting. People were talking about the farms in Japan as well that, um, you know, I think the Western world, you have a farm where it's a farmhouse and then it's, you know, my field and then it's the next farmhouse that's, you know, 
some miles over and that's their field. But in Japan, all the farmers live together in the same area and then the farmland sort of surrounds their village or their town. Um, and so what really gets me about Japan is just the richness of the culture and the connections that they have with people. Um, there's something that like once you get there and you, you sort of get connected to how they're preserving the history and keeping their community spirits alive, it's really those, those people that really, I think, really draws me to the culture. Mm, right. You're an really amazing ambassador. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> right. All right. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, where can we find you online? Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you can find us at uh, Kokoro Care Packages. So we're online. Our website is kokorocares.com. So that's K-O-K-O-R-O, cares.com. Um, and then you can also find us on any of your social platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, at uh, Kokoro Cares. Great. So good luck and keep me posted. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate the, the chance to speak with you, even though we're on opposite coasts, as well as the chance to speak with your audience. Okay, hopefully I'll see you in person sometime in the studio again. I hope so too. Right, thank you and uh, take care. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikodema.com. Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.